0: invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're finishing up this chapter, Lord willing, this morning. That's the intention anyway, in a message entitled The Son of God and Eternal Life. We're looking at the final six verses, verse 31 to 36, which is the end of What John started last week with regard to his conversation with his disciples and having to deal with their jealousy over Jesus and his disciples now baptizing with them. So this is a sort of cross over or overlapping point now where you have uh, John the Baptist isn't the only only one who's teaching uh, the ways of God. He's the messenger, the forerunner, clearly, that's been prophesied in the Old Testament. But now the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has shown up. And of course, John the Baptist has pointed him out, and he has those who have followed him as we've looked at him in Cana and coming back in Jerusalem and cleansing the temple in chapter 2 and so on. And then we see him finish up his conversation with Nicodemus at the first part of chapter 3, and then we see our location change. We see... John the Baptist baptizing, and we see Jesus and his disciples baptizing. And there's sort of a jealousy that wells up by the disciples of John the Baptist who are uh, jealous. They are envious. They don't think that anybody but John the Baptist should be able to be baptizing. After all, he is John the Baptist. There you go. So we have to be careful not to hold too tightly to our titles. Yeah. So anyway, they're They're given a, well, information that they need from John the Baptist. He is still their rabbi. They're listening to him. And so he makes it very clear uh, with this dissension that arose, as it says in verse 25 and following. A person can't receive, verse 27, anything. cannot receive even one thing, rather, unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He's here, he's saying. The friend of the bridegroom, that's himself, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. It's him. He recognizes him by voice. No longer this voice that echoes in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. But the voice of one who has come down from heaven. This, this is the voice of God. That's him. He's schooling them on this. This isn't just the Paschal lamb. This isn't just the lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. Of course, that's him. This is the voice of God. This is the voice that I long to hear. It's him. I love the, his song. His voice is music to my ears. And you're jealous that his, bat, his disciples are baptizing? You see how petty things can be once he starts clarifying things for them. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. You have to understand my work is done. Hearing his voice, I'm done. I'm punching out. I'm just going to enjoy his ministry now. And so concluding, of course, in verse 30, now he must increase. Okay, So we're going to allow him whatever his prerogatives are, because this is the lamb sent from God who takes away the sin of the world. And you all need to defer to that, he's essentially saying. So we pick it up from there this morning, verse 31. He continues his conversation. Some think that this is John the Apostle, the writer of this gospel, who takes and goes forward from here, but it's not. This is John the Baptist continuing. He's actually unpacking verse 30. He must increase. And here's what he says, verse 31 to the end, and then we'll pray. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Father, thank you for this wonderful, powerful chapter that we've been in for several weeks now. Is so much there to unleash, and you've unleashed it. By the work of your Holy Spirit, that illuminating work that makes these words clear to those who seek clarity, helps us to understand for those who sincerely desire to understand. We're here to seek you here this morning, O Lord. We want to seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Reveal yourself now as you've been faithful to do throughout uh, throughout this entire three-chapter journey in John's gospel. This we ask in his holy name. Amen. So Jesus said, you remember in verse 7 of chapter 3, you must be born from above. You have to be born from above, and now what we're hearing is a the explication of who that person from above is that you need to have bring heart to to your life your heart to life so that you can actually see him when he comes it's impossible for a dead man to see him apart from a work from above and now this is him and so john's the baptist is giving us this exclamation explanation of uh, him who comes from above but you know over the years we've been the witness of manifold uh, manifestations of of evil and immersing ourselves deeper and deeper in the lie and 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 of darkness and now i i want us to really focus this morning on how much there is in this otherwise seemingly just end of john's conversation listen from the start, we've noticed that he's revealed himself in a powerful way, line by line, has he not? Line by line, passage by passage, chapter by chapter, account by account, he's revealed himself. And getting into the study of this final six verses of the chapter is no less revealing. I want you to hang on because we're going to look at six different aspects that John unfolds here in this explanation. It's very important for us. If we would know Christ, the Christ who has come from above, who has come down into this world to be the salvation of man, this son of man who is the son of God, then we pay attention to these things, and they resonate in the heart of those who have truly assembled to find out who that person really is. More than just having a name that's repeated over and over in some mantra fashion. Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. Well, who are we talking about? Hold on to your hats. So, we're going to look at, uh, first of all, I wanted to read to you Isaiah 59, 14 to 15. Justice, this, because this to me kind of explains our times and all the more ratchets up the need for us to have the passage that we have, to have the book that we have that we're going through. So this is 700 years, some 700 years before Christ even came along. And to see if this sounds familiar, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For the truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot hear or cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. (laughs) The Lord saw it and it displeased him. Another version says, and it was evil in his eyes that there was no justice. He's not happy with the way things are. He's not happy in injustice. He's not happy with man's inhumanity to man. He's not happy about the, the advancements that the lie is making. Not, not only the lie, but the counterfeits, the fakes. That's not real. We're going to look at what's real over against what is fake different category than what is true and what is false but nevertheless all important to us if we are going to be discerning enough to know what's fake and what's real to know what's true and what's false here he gives it to us the one who goes by that name right john three twenty-nine to 30 we just read He is the bridegroom, and what he's unpacking here is that he must increase, but I must decrease. You don't realize, he's saying to his disciples, who you're talking about. You don't realize who's over there overseeing his disciples' baptize people. But we're about to find out. So in this... Morning's text, we have the stunning revelations of the more stunning revelations of the deity of Christ. This is all these uh, verses to the end of the chapter belong to the Baptist, as I mentioned, explaining he must increase. So here's how we're going to do it one point per verse. We're learning more about Jesus Christ and his divinity. So we have six manifold attestations to the divinity, the greatness, and the eternality of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, all won't be able to be treated in the lengths or elaborated on as much as they deserve. But I want you to see them there. I want you to see that, nevertheless, they're there, in John's own words. So we're going to look at, first of all, the transcendency transcendency, of Jesus Christ. This is that he is... Uh, Beyond all creation. He existed prior to creation. He's above creation. So he is absolutely otherly. The transcendency of Jesus Christ as the God man, as the Son of God. We see in verse 31 the validity of Jesus Christ. So this is giving legal force to something. And he gives, he's the only one qualified to give legal force to the things that God has said. He's the only one who qualifies in any of these categories. Verse 33, we'll see the verity of Jesus Christ, the truthfulness of him. That is that God is true, and Jesus Christ is the truth. So this qualifies him all the more to be a valid witness of the truth. Four, we'll look at the authenticity of Jesus Christ in verse 34. He is absolutely authentic. He is a genuine original. No other person qualifies for that. He's the sole authority that's trustworthy, incredible. That's authentic. That's the authenticity of him. He's the only one who qualifies for these descriptive categories. Then we'll see in 5 verse 35, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And finally, 6, we'll see the eternality of Jesus Christ. So we'd better get started. First, the transcendency of Jesus Christ. So as I said, this is, uh, he is prior to all, he's above all, having been apart from it, that's him, he's transcendent. So he is now incarnate. He's now the son of man who is the son of God at the same time, the son of God being eternal. This son of man is begotten now through Mary, By the Holy Spirit, verse thirty-one. He who comes from above is above. And I want to see. I want you to see how plain, plain spoken the word is. I want you to see how the word puts things in antithesis. They're the the complete polar opposite. And watch how simple this is. This is the perspicuity of Scripture. If there ever was, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Says it twice, like we might say to our children when we want to emphasize emphasize a very important but very uh, simple fact. He is from above. So he's still talking to his disciples, still schooling them on who they were jealous of. He is from above. And he's above all. He's transcendent. He's not part of this place. He has come down into this world. He is the agent of this creation. He upholds all of these things in his hand. He is not only our redeemer, but our sustainer. That's him. He's above all. He was of the earth. Speaking of himself, we can we can assume, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. I can only, with with the words of our vernacular, of our vocabulary, repeat the things that the Word of God says. This is the Word. Remember, that's how we started chapter 1, right? This is the Word of God himself, the inspired, authoritative, eternal Word of God. So when he speaks, nobody else on the planet can speak like him. Even if you were preaching the original Greek, which no one would understand anyway, right? It doesn't matter. The Greeks don't have the corner. The Koine Greek doesn't have a corner on the market of what is a voice from God, what absolutely transcends. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is above all. He comes from heaven, and he is above all. Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 13, or Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one else, just him. John 6, verse 33 and 38 For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, for I have come down from heaven. Why is this repeated so much in Scripture, especially in John's Gospel? It's repeated a lot. Why? Because we must really need a lot of help in understanding the antithetical relationship we have with a sovereign Creator and a finite, limited, fallen creature, right? So he's being helpful by making sure that this is uppermost in our mind that Jesus, as the Christ of God, is absolutely removed and transcended. But now he is near, he is imminent, he's close, because he's got work to do on behalf of those who represent the objects of his love. That's you and I. In chapter 8, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. See the antithesis the the opposites, the polar opposites they're not a few degrees off. they're completely antithetical to each other. light and dark, heaven, earth, so that we see there's a clear distinction we need to We need to see that. I think we get a little too warm and fuzzy with the concept of Jesus because we've made him a little more earthbound. We have to remember his transcendency. We have to remember that he is every bit a member of our triune God. In um, Ephesians 1, 20 to 21, Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. So you're going to have a lot of scripture for support so that you can review these as you go through, as you as we leave here today. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every one knee should bow in the heaven, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. When he reveals himself as the Christ, People fall down and worship. When he stopped the waves and the weather, he calmed the storms. The text says in scripture that they worshiped him. Whoa, where'd that come from? Because we have such a limited understanding of what constitutes worship. We call the guy that's the leader of the music, the worship leader. Well, let's not go there. So this is precisely why Peter proclaimed this. Remember Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For, here's why, because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there's no other name under heaven, absolutely removed. There's no one that you can consult, even though it, you might say it's a person who was human, but then ascended from a rock and became our deity. Or however you want to manage that, it typically comes from something created. That's what Satan would like to accomplish, to get you to buy into something false, a fake, something that's not real. There is no other name under heaven whereby man might be saved except the name Jesus Christ. Secondly. Verse 32. So we have the complete and utter transcendency of Jesus Christ as the God man, and now the validity of Jesus Christ. So the validity, this is giving, as I mentioned, the definition of valid is somebody who gives legal force to something. Only he can do that. Why? We'll listen to what it says. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And yet no one receives his testimony. What's he talking about there? He bears witness to what? What did he see?
1: What did he hear? Something that only the Son of God can
0: hear. Yeah? Well, let's see. John 3, 9 to 11. Nicodemus and Jesus again. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. So John does that in his first epistle, doesn't he? The things that we have seen, the things we have heard. But that's secondhand, isn't it? That's hearing it and seeing it from Jesus himself. So we're like third hand, right? Now that Jesus isn't here anymore. Well, it's already second hand with Jesus because that's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says that he saw and heard something with his vision and with the voice of God, that's only something that he can be exposed to, right? So that makes him a valid witness. It's It's a legal concept. We try to establish the validity of a witness in our courts, in American jurisprudence. We want to know how valid they are. We have them on the stand. Sir, were you there? Did you actually see? What did you see? Did you actually hear? What did you hear? Tell us exactly. Exactly what you saw. Exactly what you see. Does that solve it, by the way? Have they gotten to the truth just by having somebody tell what they saw and heard? We can mess that up too, can't we? But that's the idea. That's the concept. The validity belongs to Christ alone when it comes to witnessing the truth of God. John 5, verse 20: For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Has he done that for any other human being? No. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. That's the intention. We're to fall down in. Absolute awe that this must be God, because only He can speak the way that He speaks. There's something powerful, truthful, resonating with whatever vestige of the image of God that remains in me. It 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 moves me. Only He can do that, because you belong to Him. He knows how to do that. He's the source of all truth. He is the source of all life he brings you to life you're alive john 15:15 15, 15, no longer do i call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all that i have heard from my who father that's right all that i have heard from my father i have made known to you so second hand but it's coming from the son of god so that's a pretty good source yeah Yeah, we hope so, because the ones who are listening to him, we hope we're faithful to write down an accurate copy in the originals from which we have a translation of in our English language. So he alone is valid as a witness. He alone is truth itself. He alone had the privilege to be in the presence of the Father, to watch his Father work, to see what he's doing and why, to understand if it isn't irreverent to suggest, but just to put this in an illustration for our human sake, I speak in human terms, like a son watching his father. What are you doing now? Why are you doing it? Of course, he wouldn't be asking those questions, but you get the idea. I don't have a will of my own. I came to fulfill what? Whose? The will of the father. There is only one will. He's Remember, he's co-equal. Uh, Co substantial of this, co essential of this triune God. So there's no difference there, but in terms of their offices, different functions, and he is the son who listens to his father. Amazing. Revelation 1 4 to 5. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness he is definite article the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth all right so he alone holds the ability to be transcendent being the son of god himself he alone is the valid witness the one who can bring legal force and legitimacy to the things that he proclaims to people, whatever he says. He alone is the verity of God, the truth of God itself. Now, we look at the verity in verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal on this, that God is true, sets his seal on it. Isn't that something kings do with their signet ring? What would we say? Whoever receives his
1: testimony
0: can vouch for what was said, have, has complete confidence in what is said. I have complete confidence. I would set my seal on the fact that God is true. Everything that Jesus says is never anything but pure truth he is absolute verity he speaks truth and those that are actually sincerely looking for that see it in the things and hear it in the things that he says the only one who qualifies for that numbers 2319 god is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind as he
1: said And will he not do it?
0: Or has he spoken? And will he not fulfill it? What what is this meant to do for us in our hearts? What if we could get to the place we, we actually have fixed our seal? It's a settled issue. God is true. God is true. When you do that, your heart rests, doesn't it? Because what he said, he will do. If he said, if you believe, you will be with me in glory in heaven for eternity. Then we believe. We're to set our seal on that as believers have his seal set on them with the Holy Spirit. Right? When I was in that section, just sort of unpacking it and working it out, it gave me such a wonderful sense of contentment, no matter what's going on, because all of the promises, all the proclamations, all the descriptions of things that come from the Word of God are true, because God is true. John 8, 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. There's the valid witness again. I witnessed it. I heard it myself. You know he's true. You've set your seal on it. Believe it. Take comfort in it. It doesn't matter what the world's doing. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Set your seal on that. He's true. Will he ever stop providing for you? Will he ever stop caring about you? Would he ever stop protecting you? Never, ever. Be like the psalmist. I have been alive a long time. This is my paraphrase. And I've never seen a child of God go hungry. Never. Never. He's either Jehovah Jireh or he's not. The God who provides or he's not. No, but God is true. So those names that he goes by, we rest in those things. He is Jehovah to isn't he? He is the Lord who is our righteousness. Thank God, because I know there isn't much of that in me apart from him. No, I've been given a foreign righteousness. That's who this true God is. He is my righteousness. And we set our seal that he is true. He cannot lie. He does not change his mind. I belong to him. And he is my righteousness. Jehovah Makedeshem. He is the Lord who sanctifies you. You thought you had to do that all yourself? (laughs) That's his promise. Read 1 Thessalonians 5. It's a work that he will complete. Or Philippians 1 verse 6. That work I started, I will complete. All we do is rest and yield to the Holy Spirit. Is an effort need to be made? Yeah, if you were here for first hour, you know an effort needs to be made. But it doesn't depend on my effort. Sure, I can blow it by not making any effort for my sanctification. But who does the glory belong to when it's actually accomplished? God. You see, I contend that not only salvation is monergistic, but so is sanctification. If we're understanding it right, it's a work of God, God alone, and he is to be glorified for it. But we work out our salvation, don't we? Philippians 2 and verse 12, for it is God that is work in us, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We're to exercise ourselves for the purpose of godliness, right? 1 Timothy 4, 7. So it does take, I have to submit myself to whatever the exercises are in terms of putting things off and putting things on and availing myself of all of those means. But God is the one who accomplishes it and God is to be glorified for it jesus in john 114 he is full of what grace and truth john 1837 jesus to pilate when pilate's asking him all those questions are you are you the king of the jews and here in verse 37 jesus says for this purpose i was born and for this purpose i came into the world here it is you ready bear witness to the truth that's it they're killing me Telling them the truth, That's why Paul says in Galatians, "Are you going to hate me now that I have given you the truth? You bring the truth in, and people want you to shut up, they want you to go away, or they want to hurt you, in however they can, either your character or you physically, chapter sixteen, verse thirteen, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all what all of the truth, all of the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, apart from the authority of God, apart from God the Father, the source of all truth, God himself. He's not going to separate himself from the triunity in order to say that I'm the sole authority. It doesn't work that way. Titus 1, 1 to 3 in the NAS, Paul, he opens this way in the open, opening salutation. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life. That's the verse our passage ends on, how to obtain eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, he writes promised long ago. Before time began, he made that promise. We made it clear that God is nothing but truth. He is the true God who cannot lie. He made this promise before time began. Will it come about? Yes. But at the proper time manifested even his word. So truth comes through his word. These things were settled before time began, before he started the clock that he invented. We're to rest in these things, folks. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. Do you see how comforting these things are supposed to be to us? If we set our seal that God is true. Now I'm ready to hear from him. Now I'm ready to sit back and rest in the things that he says will happen, that he promises to do. He guaranteed it, it says in verse 17, with an oath. I vowed to do it. It will be done. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it, here it is again, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. You see, that's what it's supposed to engender in us. Strong encouragement. I was strongly encouraged in this portion of our text. God is true. That's why we have that dramatic statement, if you will, of the person who sets his seal on that comes to that conclusion. God is true. And these days, we need to make up our mind, don't we? God is true. God is real. God is not a fake. He's not a counterfeit. God doesn't shake his head and change his mind. He's not capricious like we are. What he says he will do. And we believe him. 1 John 5, 9-12. to If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater. So we only receive the testimony of men if men are giving us the testimony of God through his word, right? So God is always greater because he's transcendent. He transcends this book, but these are his words that are eternal in the originals, right? God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar.
1: Oh, oh, that means we can't doubt our salvation. Because if you do, what do you make God into? He's either true
0: or he's not. Make up your mind. And when you've made it up and said, no, God is true, put your seal on it. And we'll know you put your seal on it because you'll be resting in it. And you won't be fretting over anything. God is true. This is true. This is true. I don't want to make him a liar. And by my doubt, it's tantamount to doing just that.
1: God, you lied to me because I don't think I'm saved right now. Well, if it was God
0: speaking to you, and he said that you're saved if you believe, who are you to take on the prerogative? What
1: throne do you sit on to question that? But we're rascals, aren't we? We can do that.
0: You make him a liar because, why? He goes on to say, because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. You're not believing the son. You're not believing what the son came to say and that were written down in the scriptures about who he is, what he came to accomplish, and what that means for you as far as eternal life. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. It's a what? Thank you. It's a gift. Something you give is a gift, especially if it's something like eternal salvation in glory forever and ever. Forgiven, washed, cleansed with Jesus Christ and all those who have gone before him forever and ever and ever. Is that true? Then set your seal
1: on it. That's a settled issue for me. Because you will be challenged.
0: Is God fond at times? Is he keen at times, as they say in the UK? Is he keen at times to challenge that in you? He'll rock the boat of your circumstances to where you, you don't know which way is up. And I have settled this issue. It's settled for me. God is true, and I will stick to his word because what he says is true he said, God gave us eternal life. And this life, he goes on to say, is in his son. He is life. He is life itself. So if anything has life, anything has life in this creation, that he was the agent of creating, it came from him. And when he removes it, what? There's no life there. Verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I love that, those, this parallelism, the antithetical nature of the way things are put. So it is extremely clear. You could read this to your children and they would understand. If God is given the capacity to understand, they will understand that. It's not seminary level. Whoever has the Son has life. Do we need to unpack that at all? If you have the Son, you have life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can't say that you do if you do not have the Son. And if you have the Son, you have no right to question that. neither do I. No matter how difficult life, life gets. This testimony, one, two, three, four, five, six, six times. In this passage, the word testimony. So I had to look it up. Up, of course, we we define terms here so we can understand things. A testimony is a solemn declaration or affirmation made to establish. Listen, some fact. Testimony, the testimony, the testimony. He is the witness. I came to bear witness. I came to bear witness. I came to bear witness of what? Truth. Remarkable. Four the authenticity of Jesus Christ, the authenticity of Jesus Christ. So this is having genuine origin of something. This is, it gives you the authority because you were the original. And so you're trustworthy, you're credible. That's authentic. Is this person authentic or is this another deep fake? Is he real? Is he honest? Well, what proves his authenticity? Verse 34 For he whom God has sent utters the words of whom? Of his rabbi? The words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So let's put some things together. Jesus, the transcendent Son of God, who is true and cannot lie, is given overarching authority over all. Therefore, he utters the words of God, making him alone authoritative and therefore trustworthy.
1: I had to write it down because
0: I might run the risk of missing some of it. Let's let's hear it again. So putting together some of these things... Here this morning, Jesus is a transcendent transcendent Son of God, who is true and cannot lie, has been given overarching authority over all, therefore he utters the words of God, making him alone the making him alone authoritative and therefore trustworthy. You can trust him there's credibility there he is the originator of all truth he comes bearing the truth giving testimony to the truth these by way of proclamation by the way of declaration of these things john 7 15 to 18 listen to this the jews therefore marveled saying how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied there you go you got to study Verse 16, so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not what? Mine. Wow. My teaching is not
1: mine, but his who sent me.
0: Only he can make that claim, yeah? Only Jesus can. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. No, we read earlier that the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't have authority in and of himself, unilaterally apart from the Godhead, and neither does Jesus. I'm not speaking on my own authority, removed from God, removed from God the Father. No, I came to utter his words. And therefore, he retains his authority to do so. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Anybody who who takes off on their own, saying that these truths are mine and mine alone, wants their own glory. That's what the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees do. They want the glory from men, as it says in the gospel, right, instead of God. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. There it is again. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes who would seek their own glory. So Jesus is the author. He's the progenitor. He is the originator of our salvation. Hebrews 2 and verse 10 is clear about that. The author of your salvation, right? That's what this is speaking to. That's what authenticity means. It comes from the word, the the root word is author, author. It, it, it's somebody who originates something. That's why if somebody writes a book and it's all their own, they're the author. They're the originator of that work. That's Jesus when it comes to the eternal, inspired, authoritative word of God. So it gives him authenticity for sure. He's was there and lit, witnessed these things and heard these things from the Father mark one twenty one to twenty three and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had what authority and not the scribes john eight twenty eight listen to what he adds here, so Jesus said to them, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you know what he's talking about there we've covered that already, then you will know that I am he, and that I do." Nothing on my own authority. There he makes it crystal clear. But the but speak just as the Father taught me. My Father taught me these things. My Father taught me these things, and I give them to you. John 14.10, do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So that's made pretty clear. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Five. So we saw the authenticity of Jesus Christ. Here in verse 35, we see the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given, how many things? All things into his hand. See, John the Baptist is really Packing some stellar stunning christology but you got to take it line by line to see it and let the rest of scripture answer scripture on these single verses you start to see it emerge through the scriptures to so you're confident that you have support in the things that are are stated here this absolutely supreme role that he has Colossians one eighteen and nineteen, speaking of Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. His Father has made him the supreme over all, all creation. The church itself, John 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He's giving all things into his hands, and only Jesus, who had descended from heaven, only he can ascend to heaven. He's replaced Jacob's ladder for mankind, hasn't he? He has become the mediator between God and man. 1 Corinthians 15, 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Ephesians 1, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Psalm 89, 27, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's him. Absolute supremacy. Revelation eleven fifteen. 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. We're getting into the final point of eternality. He shall reign forever and ever. First Timothy, before we do that, 6, 15 to 16, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and lords of lords who alone has immortality. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ, the absolute divinity of Jesus Christ, the greatness of Jesus Christ, now the eternality of Jesus Christ. We still don't have enough time to cover it all, do we? This is six verses. This is just... John the Baptist scolding his disciples, and look at the Christology that just rises up. If you care to take what he's saying, listen to it in its context and find out what the rest of the whole of Scripture has to say about it, because from there, instead of saying, "We look to the Scriptures, for in them they ha- we have eternal life." Is that what we should be saying? Be careful. You scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you look into the scriptures because you think that in them, in the words, is eternal life. It is they that what? Speak of me. That's right. They speak of me. And that whole portrait starts to come together in a rather magnificent way. If we take the time to take these verses, break them down, He's given all things into his hands. What is that? one, two, three, four, five words, five words How quickly in a in a um early morning, glazed over brain foggy state, still trying to figure out who we are, where we are, How quickly could we pass over those five words? He has given all things into his hand. All things have been handed over to him. All things are in subjection to him. He is the head over all. He is the highest of all the kings. He is, Revelation 7.14, Lord of lords and king of kings. It also says that in Revelation 19. You get the impression that this is something that God wants us to know about his son. And don't make him into something that's a form of entertainment. This is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who it is. And in these six verses that we just happen to be on providentially, we see six major points of Christology that rise up. Reach out to our minds, change our hearts, cause us to bow down before him and worship him. For who? The God who he is.
1: We have no right to trivialize him. It's not a safe place to be, is it?
0: Finally, the eternality of Jesus Christ. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Hell is a very real and terrifying place to spend eternity. It's a real place.
1: Let yourself be horrified,
0: imagining anybody you love spending eternity there. But if you've set your seal that God is true, then so is that place. So is
1: his wrath. It should cause us to tremble
0: on behalf of those we love. But could salvation be any more easier to to acquire for ourselves than he's made it? What did he say? He who believes in the Son. And and what else?
1: There must be something more. Maybe you didn't really see all the things I've done in my past. Did you did you need a moment? Probably not. You're God. No. If you believe in the Sun, you have eternal life. I've set my seal on that. God is true.
0: He's eternal. Romans 8:33 to 34 in the NAS, so who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Jehovah Tsidkenu, he is the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shalom.
1: It's God who is our peace.
0: And if God is the one who justifies, verse 30, 34, who is the one who condemns? There we are at another uh-oh moment. Who's the one who condemns
1: you the most? Who? You can say it. Ourselves. And that casts doubt on whom? Ooh. Christ Jesus is he who died.
0: Yes, rather, who was raised. Do we need more? Who is at the right hand of God? Only he holds the right to that position. Who also intercedes for us. Oh, be glad and rejoice that he does. Because the one who intercedes for me, he's going to need a long time to remain as an intercessor, yeah? A long time. I'll do it. I'll be your mediator. Okay. But if we were asking that of another human being, what would be our next question? How long do you think you can stay on that job? We needed the eternal one. The only one who can stand before the almighty judge and say, father,
1: they're with me forever.
0: Otherwise, we'd be lost. If there was any other attempt to propitiate our sins, we would be lost. We would be under the wrath of God. Horrifying
1: thought. Hebrews seven twenty-three to
0: 25. The former priests, they tried, didn't they? They did what they were supposed to do, but it was temporary. The former priests were many in number. There better be a lot of them, because we have a lot of sin, right? There were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. Uh Uh-oh, where's the priest that keeps offering up that scapegoat for my sins, the one who makes the sacrifice? What happens to a priest? He's human. What happens to him eventually?
1: He dies. There better be a lot of them. I hope there's a lot of them lined up.
0: So they're prevented by death from continuing in that office, but he holds his priesthood. Listen to this word. Listen carefully, permanently. Praise the Lord. Because he continues forever. Praise the Lord. Forever and ever. Your sins are forgiven. You're washed, you're cleansed forever and ever the Son himself assuages the wrath of God. He'd better be eternal, or we're in trouble. Verse twenty five of Hebrews seven. Consequently, he is able this is an understatement. He is able to save to the what? Uttermost. Do you want to pause for just a few seconds on that word? To the
1: utter, where's the uttermost? The uttermost. Those who draw near
0: to God through him. Since he, listen to this word, always lives to make intercession for them. It's two verses in the Bible. We've been over several. We're filled with the knowledge, with the image of Christ and who he is as He's his profile, his glory, who he is. These details rise up and
1: find their way into our hearts so that we would respond with one activity of the heart. To worship. To
0: worship is there any with greater value, which is what worth speaks to. He's of the greatest value. So we assemble here corporately every week as the Lord allows us. That's why we're here. That's why we dig deep into the word to let the word define who he is. We don't have the right to massage some liturgical form or some form of music that suits us to, so we can feel a certain way, so that it can become experiential, so we can feel happy about ourselves. Let's let him reveal himself, shall we? Let's set our seal on that, that God alone is true. We want to spend every bit of this hour letting him reveal himself. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Psalm 45, 6.
1: Got something from Spurgeon for you.
0: And a couple verses and we close. Listen to what Spurgeon said regarding the psalmist. The psalmist cannot restrain his adoration. I love that. We shouldn't restrain ourselves. What happens to reformed believers? What happens to us?
1: I'm not going to that Jesus movie.
0: A Jesus revolution movie. Oh, did you make the classic mistake of going there Think, looking for correct theology? Lighten up! Go there and let yourself go with pure adoration. I don't look to Hollywood for proper theology. And so we narrow and narrow and narrow what we expose ourselves to. And whenever we step out of that narrow band, those restrictions we made for ourselves, we don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody I went to that Jesus movie. I was part of what that movie's about how so he introduced himself to me through chuck smith he showed pirate's cove where barbara and i 33 years ago were double dunked together in corona del mar they showed it that still lights me on fire and it will until the fire himself comes to take me away it was a glorious season
1: yeah but there are many aren't they Stop it.
0: You understand what right theology, and that's good. We're not advocating, embracing wrong theology, goodness, no. There's a reason we were moved on from that church. But we are still tremendously blessed, are we not, my dear, by what God did there in the honeymoon of the Lord. It was spectacular. I pray that this is sort of a precursor to another revival are you praying for revival or did you just think that he should bring that about on his own i pray for revival i pray that there would be a movement like there was before are most of those people maybe probably not saved? probably lonnie frisbee who influenced chuck smith had a had a it's sad what happened to him and a lot of those folks but you know what You're looking at someone, what God can do with someone who was baptized in the waters of Pirate's Cove in Corona Del Mar. And I say, praise the Lord. And I say, we need to lighten up a little bit. This, Spurgeon's saying, the psalmist cannot restrain his adoration. May that be us From now until he's pleased to come back for us. What did you think heaven was going to be like? You better brace yourself. You're going to be out of control with worship. You're going to be effervescent, overflowing with your adoration for the Son of God, the Christ who is eternal. And as my dad used to say, how long is eternity? A long time, right? (laughs) Yes, Father. His enlightened eye sees in the royal husband of the church God, God to be adored, God reigning. By the way, was Charles Spurgeon an Arminian? He seems pretty footloose and fancy free here, getting a little excited. God reigning everlasting, blessed sight, he writes, with the exclamation point. Those get overused on texting, by the way. I'm just going to put that in there. Blind are the eyes that cannot see God in Christ Jesus. Another exclamation point. (laughs) What a mercy for us that our Savior is God. For who but a God could execute the work of salvation. What a glad thing it is that he reigns on a throne which will never pass away. For we need both a sovereign grace and eternal love to secure our happiness Isn't that wonderful? No throne can endure forever but that on which God Himself sitteth. I'll leave you with this. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in whom, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Embrace him now and give him every bit of the primacy of your love for he is supreme above all and he's eternal. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these truths. Oh, the clock seems to us a tyrant at times, but this is part of how you test us. How will we use that hour? And we pray, O Lord, that we've used it faithfully. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We pray, O Lord, that as you help increase our understanding of who the Son of God is, that, Lord, we would set our seal on that, saying, God, Alone is true. Let every man be a liar. So, Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your son. He who believes has eternal life. May that be settled with everyone within the sound of my voice right now. You're here, O Lord. You're a listening God. You're patient and kind and loving and merciful. You're rich in mercy. Look into their hearts. Lord, show them who you are. They need to see who you are. Help us be faithful as a church to always preach, teach, counsel, fellowship, the true and living God in Lord Jesus Christ. Save us, Lord, to the uttermost, that we might be saved from the wrath of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.